0: Welcome back to Swift Unwrapped, a show about the Swift programming language and news related to that community. I'm J.P. Smart, And I'm Jesse Squires. Today we want to talk about uh, all sorts of open source work that the community has been doing. We usually focus this show on aspects of the uh, Swift language itself and the compiler, but there's so much interesting work that the community has been doing uh, over the last few years that we feel it's important to kind of shine a light on that uh, every now and again.
1: Yeah, so uh, on this, in this episode, we want to reflect back on the community uh, and the projects uh, with a focus on. Uh, projects that are not Darwin sp- specific, so not uh, Apple platforms sp- specific. Um, they they could uh, work cross platform uh, on Darwin and Linux, uh, or be Linux only. Uh, and we wanted to focus on some of the uh, less popular libraries as well, but ones that we find interesting for different reasons.
0: Yeah. Um, and Interesting is extremely subjective in this case, but yeah, <laughs> um, you know, if, if we don't mention your project, uh, don't take it personally. We really just kind of pick these out of a hat, basically. Um, but there are things that, uh, that we've heard about and that um, are interesting from some angle or another. And for example, one of the categories that, that we kind of used as, um, as a criteria is, does it implement things uh, on its own, sometimes even from scratch in Swift? And so we have a number of of projects that do that. And, What's especially interesting is when Swift initially came out, there was this huge push, and especially right leading up to before it was open source, there was this huge push to be pure Swift. Right. And um, it really was pushed to an extreme where people avoided the use of foundation. Oh, just in case, foundation, you know, there's no equivalent open source when, when Swift comes out, um, or that it wasn't Swifty y enough to, ha- to call into Objective-C code.
1: Right. At the time, we knew that Swift would be open source and we knew it would be available on Linux. And that's all we knew. We didn't know that uh, the core libs would also be uh, part of the release.
0: Right. Um, And so it was interesting to see this big push of folks really pushing for pure Swift. And... Um there are good reasons to do it. Uh they are not all good reasons, in yeah. my opinion. <laughs> uh one good reason is for educational purposes. Yeah. Um you're curious, you want to get more familiar with the language. Um, and what better way to do that than to kind of rebuild something that's already built out there, that's stable, that's well regarded, where the problem and the solution space is well mapped out. And to re-implement that. That is a great learning tool.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, and we we actually let's let's start off with a few libraries that I think fall into that category. There's there's another uh, category of things that um, are generally not a good idea to completely rewrite. And that's crypto. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the number one rule of crypto is don't roll your own crypto. Um, because even if you m- match a spec perfectly, um, odds are that you're not going to have the same level of hardening, uh, for things like timing attacks, where, um, a lot of very good, very stable, um, crypto libraries out there go out of their way to have like constant time operations so that you can't do things like like timing attack uh, timing attacks and these are the kinds of things that especially with the languages evolving like swift it's very difficult to guarantee uh at any one point in time you might be even in the very optimistic case uh you might be resilient to timing attacks and then swift the Swift standard library slightly changes. And then all of a sudden that's no longer true. Um, So generally not a great idea to rely on crypto written in Swift uh, for that reason. But that being said, there's some amazing projects out there that for a variety of other reasons are extremely interesting. Either it's non-cryptographic hashing or uh, crypto functions that are written mostly with uh, the goal of being done just because you can do it, or just because it's it's an interesting uh, academic exercise.
1: Yeah. So the first project uh, that we want to look at here is uh, SIP hash. Um, it's a pure Swift implementation uh, of the SIP hash hashing algorithm. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, we'll have links in the uh, show notes. Uh, actually, JP, do you do you have anything to say about? The implementation of siphash.
0: Well, about the algorithm a little bit. Um, We've mentioned previously in the show that uh, for non-Darwin platforms that can't rely on um, Foundation's NSString hashing algorithm, um, that uh, siphash is now being used as of I think Swift 2.2 or 2.3. One of those. One of those releases. Maybe it was Swift three even, but. Dimitri uh Gribenko, I think, yeah, basically ported the SIP hash algorithm, which is a family of pseudorandom functions. Um they're keyed hash functions that are really optimized for um well distributed or evenly distributed hashing that is uh secure, fast, and simple. And this is this is actually a fairly modern family of of hashing um mechanisms. It was mostly uh implemented originally in 2012 and then there was uh, there were a number of, uh, of improvements after that. Uh, and so for Swift 2.x or, or 3.x, one of those, uh, SIP hash was ported to the Swift language. Uh, rewritten in Swift um, specifically for for the purpose of doing things like string hashing and uh, dictionary key hashing, etc. Um, so Swift. Specifically
1: al- on Linux platforms. Yeah,
0: specifically yeah. when, um, foundation wasn't available. Right. Uh, and so Swift already has a history of SIP hash. Uh, however, the Swift language and the Swift standard library don't re-expose this implementation for use in third-party code. And this is where, uh, this, project um, that's open source by Carolee Laurenti on, on GitHub is extremely fascinating because it is yet again another port of the Swiphash hash uh, hashing algorithm to Swift that you can use in your own projects.
1: Yeah. Uh, one interesting thing to note, I guess, in the, the SIP hash implementation and uh, the Swift uh, standard lib, uh, there are multiple ABI fixmes uh, commented there. I imagine they're probably not going to expose this publicly, if ever. What do you think?
0: Yeah, it seems unlikely. Yeah. Um. But, uh, you know, right now we do have this as third-party code uh, via this library, and uh, even putting aside the fact that the, the SIP hash algorithm is is well-regarded, um, the API that's used and, and re-exposed for this uh, is is really nice. It's extremely. Uh, Swift idiomatic, I would say, where there's this protocol that's called SIP hashable that's exposed as part of the Swift uh, implementation here. And uh, that in turn conforms or inherits from the hashable protocol, which is a requirement for things like dictionary keys and uh, Swift set um, elements, et cetera. And so just by conforming your custom type, so for example, a struct or an enum or a class to SIP hashable, you then implement this append hashes to hasher um, method that Basically, if any of the elements of your struct enum, whatever the internal representation is that you want to use to uh, contribute to this hash is, uh, if all of those use primitive types that are provided by the standard library, odds are that you can just call hasher.append for all of those members, and it will automatically consider those hashes as part of the SIP hash algorithm. Uh, It's fairly elegant, I would say.
1: Yeah, it's a really nice API. It, it would be nice if this were uh, provided out of the box uh, in the standard library, I think, uh, instead of... Uh, I guess it kind of feels like there's a lot of boilerplate now when you have to implement Hashable.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of black magic involved as well where um, yeah. XORing all of the...
1: The hashes of the the members. Yeah.
0: That's right. It doesn't always lead to uh, good distribution, Right of uh, of of your hashing function, and so using something like this that takes care of that in in a slightly smarter way than just XORing all the hashes, uh, might be might be a good addition to the standard library as re exposed. It would be a very interesting case study to compare uh, the Swift standard library's version of siphash hash with this one. Um, I'd be curious to see if certain optimizations are done in one and not the other. Maybe that's good low-hanging fruit to either contribute back to Laurenti's version or to uh, the Swift Standard Libraries version.
1: Oh yeah, that's a good idea. Uh,
0: and maybe that's something that uh, that Laurenti's already done. But uh, yeah, very interesting um, implementation here. Uh, speaking of kind of crypto and, and hashing um, projects, there's uh, Marson's CryptoSwift library, which is a collection of uh, cryptographic algorithms that are re-implemented from scratch in Swift.
1: Uh, hashtag Pure Swift. Yeah. And like you mentioned earlier, this is probably not something you want to use in your projects. Uh, in fact, uh, Schwa a.k.a. Jonathan White, even opened an issue asking, why not use Common Crypto? Maybe wrap uh, Common Crypto with a a Swifty API. And the response was, uh, because I can. (laughs) And this is uh, clearly, for Marcin, this is more of an academic exercise um, and something to learn from rather than um, actually use this in an app. Yeah. So just a caveat there, but there's a
0: lot of goodies in there. If you're ever interested in um, kind of writing your own bit-level manipulation algorithms, such as which is very common in hashing, in um, crypto manipulation, in checksum validation, things like that, I would encourage you to take a look at this code. Um, It's it's really interesting to me. So there's a bunch of implementations for things like SHA 123, um, the rabbit algorithm, MD5, HMAC, Blowfish, uh, AES. There is tons and tons of stuff in there. But, um, if, if you just kind of dig in there, you'll see a lot of, uh, tables of binary data and you'll see this mix of, very imperative C style offset oriented programming, uh, if that's a thing All right uh, mixed with a few Swift idioms like striding and um, stridable uh, enumerations, doing things like uh, subrange replacement uh, some some really interesting interesting stuff. that's the only word I can really find for it. Um, so just a fascinating set of implementations.
1: Yeah, I think it kind of showcases how you can uh, program at these much lower levels uh, uh, in Swift, this more kind of system level uh, type programming where you're directly manipulating bits and shifting them around instead of this higher level that we're used to. One thing is, you know, looking at the equivalent of this in C, I think would be much more difficult to read, at least in in some respects. Um, So it's kind of, for me, it's interesting to see this stuff implemented in Swift. It's a little bit more familiar. I mean, not that any of this is particularly easy to read. Uh, It's still quite cryptic in a lot of ways, but I think Swift helps with readability in uh, at least a few areas where it it would be much more difficult in uh, like Plain C, for instance.
0: Yep. And you have all the uh, niceties of Swift that um, you can then apply uh, to, to anything really, including low-level algorithms. Um, so fascinating work here. Uh, and there's, there's a lot that uh, shares in common with, with SipHash in terms of the, the approach taken here. I will say, though, that the, the SipHash algorithm um, is extremely simple when you compare it to a lot of these fairly complex rest of crypto functions, um, really looking at the source code for, for SipHash Project uh, is night and day compared to a lot of these other crypto methods. So, maybe if you're looking for a way to ease into it, start with SIP hash and then uh, graduate up yeah. to uh, uh, <laughs> Crypto Swift.
1: Yeah. Another great library, and uh, one that you might be familiar with, uh, is the uh, result library that just has the result T type. Uh, this is under the GitHub org, uh, anti typical. Uh, which is composed of a number of uh, different contributors. I think this has been around for quite a while now, um, and this is kind of the go-to library, I would say, if you need a result type, uh, which we we discussed error handling in a previous episode. And um, uh, this is one way to uh, handle errors, particularly asynchronous errors. And with result T, you, you get either a value or uh, an error back um it's a good way to to model a lot of different scenarios. Yeah, I, I think this is uh it's a pretty comprehensive library for a result.
0: Yeah. Um it's it's one that's used in yeah, you know, Reactive cocoa um, among other things. Um and this was started, I believe, by Rob Ricks, who's also known as the king of radars. Um yeah. uh, and today, yeah, there are lots of contributors to this now. Um, the interesting, the most interesting aspect of this, to me, I think, is, um, well, let, let's pick a few. One is that it really showcases that um, Swift makes it very easy to have very small frameworks. Right? So this is a framework with m- more or less just one type yep. and a handful of methods on that type uh, that are mostly used as um Kind of conversion methods, right? So you can materialize and dematerialize uh, a result from a Swift error, for example. What's also interesting is that it uh, gained a lot of popularity between Swift one and two before Swift had its own um, out-of-the-box error handling mechanism, right? And so this was really filling a community need where uh, the Swift language was not, and I think that is one of the great areas that. Um, the community can and does uh, focus on is pragmatically where to provide value um, where the community is ideally well-suited to do that. And that could be um, where the Swift language, there's no clear kind of ideal execution or solution that it can provide in a given timeframe, but providing nothing is kind of worse than providing something that's suboptimal. But for whatever reason, the Swift Core team has good reason to uh, not provide something that's suboptimal that they then have to commit to supporting in some way, shape, or form
1: uh,
0: forever. So that's a great opportunity for the community to step in. And uh, and this result type and framework um, is a great example of that.
1: One thing that I don't know maybe I just wasn't thinking about or didn't expect when I first uh, saw this library was, you know, at the core, all it is is just an enum with two cases, success and failure. Uh, but there's actually quite a bit of code here. Um, there's a lot of convenience and helper functions, uh, but there's a lot of things that I wouldn't necessarily think of uh, right off the bat, you know, implementing equatable, implementing map, um, and all these other like functional niceties to have around dealing with result types. And they really cover all the bases here uh, with everything you could want to do uh, in terms of how you want to use these results and the operations you may want to perform on them.
0: So moving on to another library uh, that is particularly interesting, there's the Commander project, which uh, provides a framework for you to build command line interfaces in Swift. Uh, and it does so in um, a very type-safe manner, in uh, uh, a way that's super concise, right? So the Hello World example is uh, just, you know, two three lines of code um, where you can still parse some of the commands that are passed in. And Foundation and CoreLibs Foundation already offer ways to do this, right, with the process and the command line types. But um, you don't get any of the type safety out of that, right? So if you want to, say, take in uh, an array of strings or integers, right, you need to do all of that parsing from the input arguments yourself, which actually leaves a lot of room for uh, for problems and bugs. So this is extremely useful. And especially when you consider that the main use for Swift on Linux is to build command line driven applications. Uh, this has become an extremely popular framework uh, alongside the Commandant framework as well that was originally built for Carthage and uses the result framework that we mentioned. So there's quite a few out there. uh, But what I think is great is that because Swift on Linux is primarily command line driven, these command line frameworks are really built with uh, cross-platform compatibility in mind.
1: Um and you know that just opens the door to make things even easier uh on Darwin platforms to write uh these kind of command line tools. You know, there's nothing stopping you from from doing that if you want to uh you know, start writing your scripts and other utilities and in, in Swift instead. Yeah. Yeah, which is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, as they say, a uh, lifting tide raises all terminal emulated boats.
1: <laughs> I think that's how it goes. <laughs> All right, next up, we have uh, this library, Swifty GPIO, uh, which is a way to interact with a bunch of acronyms that I don't know what they stand for on uh, Linux and ARM boards, so like Raspberry Pi, things like that. Um, I'm not going to pretend like I know that much uh, about this library, um, but JP probably has some things to add.
0: Well, it's, it's hardware interop um, for a given set of platforms. Um, so, for example, uh, Raspberry Pi, BeagleBone, Chip, um, all sorts of variants of those boards as well. And it, it really does seem like just this grab bag of hardware-related interop features for a number of very specific platforms that have been kind of each hard-coded in here. Right. Um, but nonetheless, it is kind of one... A convenient interface for all those platforms.
1: Yeah, I know one goal of Swift is to be available and useful and uh, perform well on uh, for like small systems programming like this. Uh, I'm not sure if um, performance is there yet to make this like super useful, but uh, I know these discussions have come up, like with the the explicit memory model, like the Rust memory model proposal or the the manifesto that we've the ownership manifesto that we've covered so
0: yeah these hardware projects that are supported here um appear to be like beefy enough to be able to uh, to run swift without a problem um these are the same kinds of platform that folks run node.js on uh Uh, so if it can run node.js it can run swift (laughs) yeah (laughs) um but what's what's especially funny and a little bit um well, it's it's just an accurate reflection of reality here. Uh, the bulk of the installation instructions for this project are just how to get Swift onto the board in the first place. Right. Um, and really kudos to the Swift package manager team because the rest of the instructions are just add this to your Swift PM file, your your package.swift manifest. Um, and so thankfully, uh, once you get Swift on there, it's pretty easy to also get this on. Uh, I really do wonder, though, how or if at all this is tested um, or how this is continuously tested. Yeah. Because you know, uh, platforms like Travis CI, Circle CI, uh, even platforms like if you wanted to run your own Jenkins instance on AWS, you still can't test on any of this hardware. Right. Um, right. So I'm not sure. Uh, I, it looks here like there's no you know, Travis YAML or Circle YAML file, uh, and that tests are probably done very much ad hoc um, mm. on these developers' machines where they try to change, they plug it in, uh, and they see if it runs, and if so, they kind of celebrate and m- merge.
1: Yeah, they, uh, in this section of the readme, under supported boards, there's a list of boards that have been tested, and then another list that says, not tested, but they should work. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, best of luck if you play around with this. Yeah.
0: Um, and generally, you know, with uh, with Swift projects, you'll see, with Swift package manager projects, you'll see a tests directory at the top level, uh, where there's at least, you know, some minimal hello world test, uh, even if you're not, very test oriented. You still might add like a sanity check in there, right? Yeah. Uh, there is no such directory yeah. in this project, and I cannot blame the authors whatsoever.
1: Absolutely, because it is—it's uh, a tricky thing to do. I think for all of my poor requests from now on, I'll just put "not tested," but they should work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. So, uh, very cool project and. There's this really cool, I just can't remember the name off the top of my head, but there's this uh, Swift IDE that was built for embedded systems. And I can't oh. remember the name, but I think it's it's actually built on top of uh, SourceKit. Um,
1: oh, interesting.
0: And that it's used to deploy to platforms like these. But I, I can't remember the name uh, off the top of my head. Or it's it's built for like... Um, internet of things, Mm. platforms. Um, If I can find it, I'll add it to the show notes. But uh, yeah, I I can't seem to find it at the moment. Uh, Next up to chat about, we have another library from Kyle Fuller, um, which is called Stencil. And Stencil is a Django template-inspired library for Swift. Uh, And what's interesting, especially interesting about this, is that uh, template rendering... Uh, so things like HTML templates, um, JSON template. Whenever you have dynamic content that you need to render in a specific format, that um, the the metadata around that format is generally static, right? So uh, HTML rendering is, is part of that. Um, handlebar, uh, uh, st- Handlebar template- templates is another common example. So whenever you have um, a templating libraries, it, it has to marry uh, both the very dynamic nature of the content and like interpolating content into strings, and occasionally even having uh, dynamically interpreted like pseudo languages within the template language. Uh, and so, Swift being a compiled language, you can kind of see how this could be a challenge. And I think Kyle's done an amazing job here at uh, finding a good sweet spot. Uh, retaining much of Swift's type safety while still having some powerful features like filtering and mapping uh, within this stringly typed templating language. So, really cool project. It's a project that's used um, in a number of other projects as kind of this primitive tool. Um, so projects like Sorcery, like SwiftGen, um, and countless others. People have built uh, blogging engines in Swift based off of Stencil, uh,
1: really cool library. Cool. Blogging, blogging engines, like, uh, so something similar to Jekyll or something.
0: Yeah, I know that, uh, like, Zach uh, Wodlowski has built a blogging engine or is in the process of building a blogging engine built on Stencil in Swift. Oh, that'd be uh, so cool. So it's, it's pretty neat.
1: Yeah. I don't know how
0: far along that project is.
1: Uh, I'd be super interested to, uh, to see that. Uh, I use Jekyll uh, pretty heavily, so... I'm a big fan of Jekyll, actually. But yeah, Jekyll's great.
0: Um and uh I I think this has the potential to uh be something close to it.
1: Yeah. That'd be awesome.
0: Um although this is really kind of more of the the, the primitive, like template-oriented aspect of a blogging engine. You still need right. all sorts of other stuff to make a blogging engine. Um uh, as a personal note, when I originally built Jazzy, I was strongly considering building it in Swift. And ultimately the, the, the whole aspect that parses the projects and creates the documentation data is all in Swift. That's source kitten. Yep. But then, um, as a static site generator, uh, when I originally built Jazzy, which was like sh- shortly after Swift was even announced, there weren't things like templating libraries and uh, command line libraries to, right. to build kind of easy to use things like that. Um, so like things like template generation or command line handling, markdown, uh, parsing and yep. transformation, all of those things had such a m- much, a much stronger ecosystem on the Ruby side. Right. And, even the Node.js side, the NPM, like great libraries out there. And, uh, it's, it's taking some time. It does take years for that kind of community of projects to build up, to, to have those primitive tools in order to build higher level things. Uh, and we have a lot of that for, um, iOS apps in Swift for sure. And, um, You've had projects like Stencil, like Commandant and Commander over the years that kind of come together to, to, to build non-Darwin platform apps. But it's a much, the pace of progress is much slower. And uh, only now I would say, like, you know, it would be reasonable for someone to try to build a blogging engine in Swift just because you need to leverage the work of others in order to not have it be like a multi-thousand hour project of building sure. all those primitive pieces.
1: Right. Even then, I think it's still um, just like the decision you made in other languages. A lot of these things are already established. So a lot of the time, um, it may just be easier to do it in Ruby instead or something. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And at the right. end of
0: the day, you know, you need to ship something. Um yep. And doing it in hashtag pure Swift isn't necessarily going to make a large difference in a lot of cases to your end users. Um, So on the flip side, the way you get there is by building things in an incomplete ecosystem and adding to it until it eventually becomes more and more full featured. And this is one of the reasons why, Jesse and I were excited for this episode is to kind of showcase some of the tools that are out there and really, sit, really share that you know we're at a pivotal time right now where you do have a lot of those resources available.
1: Yeah, and you have the opportunity to build some of these foundational tools. I know I've seen Markdown parsers for uh, iOS and macOS. Um, I don't know if I've seen any that are non-Darwin, but either Markdown parsers or like a Markdown text view for iOS or something. A few of those are floating around out there.
0: There are very few um, that are non-Darwin specific. Yeah. Uh, There's a handful of projects out there that wrap CommonMark, which is Mm. a C library for parsing Markdown in uh, Swift interfaces, but none of them are maintained uh, very well. None of them... um, fully support like Swift Package Manager and things like that. So it's very much a nascent field and one that, you know, if you're listening to this show and you're wondering where to contribute, what project to work on, uh, that'd be a great
1: contribution. Yeah, make, make another markdown parser. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: I would say wrap common mark, um, very portable C code. And we'll get to some projects that wrap C and objective C codes written in Swift that are cross-platform soon. Um, and maybe you can look at those for uh, for examples and um, and models.
1: Oh, so once we get all these uh, primitive libraries established, then you can rewrite Jazzy in Swift. Right. Um, <laughs> and
0: submit it to uh, the Swift code base, hopefully, so that everyone gets doc generation. But right. that's um, kind of a daunting project, honestly. Just retranslating that whole project into code that the Swift team would actually merge yeah. and approve. Like it would have to be either all Swift, like they're not going to uh, like accept a Ruby pull request, you know? So <laughs> right.
1: it's a lot
0: of churn you to get try. back to where we are now, basically. Yep. So speaking of projects that um, are cross-platform and that wrap either Objective-C or C, there's uh, this project out there that's called SWXML hash. Which is, um, uh, as you guessed it, an XML parsing library, and it wraps NSXML parser on Darwin Foundation, but Darwin Foundation isn't available outside Darwin. And there is some implementation for NSXML parser in the Swift CoreLibs Foundation, uh, fork or variant, um, of Foundation, but they behave differently. In a number of like subtle, subtle but important ways, and I must say, you know, kudos to Tony Parker and uh, Philip Hausler of the CoreLibs Foundation team because the ways in which it differs has been um, shrinking o- over the last like two years. Um, so really, it's great to see progress being made there and minimizing the number of changes that need to happen to take code that works with Darwin Foundation and just see if that, even if it's pure Swift and see if that works on Linux. Right. There are still some changes. Like if you grep for uh, the compiler guard, like if OS Darwin or if OS Linux in this project over time, over its different versions, right now, SWXML hash is at version 3.1. If you look at, you know, going all the way back to, uh, kind of its, its early versions, um, in the pre 1.0 days, uh, you know, 0.5, like very early on, um, you see tons of these, of these forks, right? Where if, if CoreLibs Foundation do this, uh, if Darwin Foundation, okay, do like the full featured <laughs> set of things that you want to do, which basically means like maintaining two projects in one. And these days, there's there's really only, uh, only a handful of them. Um, so it's really nice to see the improvements being done there.
1: Yeah, I'm looking through a couple of these right now. It looks like CoreLibs Foundation and Darwin Foundation differ in what needs to be explicitly cast um, in a lot of cases, or like casting to NSObject, casting to NSDictionary here with AS, which is kind of interesting to see. Those seem like pretty... Uh, low-hanging fruit fixes. Uh, Maybe not, though. (laughs) No? Uh,
0: No. So this is something that um, I think Tony Parker has been most vocal about in the last few years. Uh, The, I think his words, and I'm paraphrasing here, but um, his wording is really that, and this has been a common theme, they need to figure out the uh, bridging and casting story on Linux. Right. Because, and, a lot of changes were done, especially via Swift evolution proposals between Swift 2 and 3 and 3 and 4 on um, changing what kinds of types are implicitly bridged. Oh, right. There's been a huge reduction in magical implicit bridging. Yep. And I think that I, 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 I venture at a guess, I assume that um, a lot of those changes were done to A, realign between um, Darwin and non-Darwin Swift use, Mm -hmm. and B, um, to actually reduce the reliance on the Objective-C runtime, which is why a lot of these uh, casts don't work on non-Darwin platforms. So even if you're writing something in hashtag PureSwift, you're still leveraging the Objective-C runtime for a lot of uh, operations more often than you think.
1: Right. So a lot of those implicit casts that are happening... Uh, we're leveraging the Objective-C runtime to do that. That's right. Interesting. Even
0: explicit casts often will fall back to uh, is kind of class that's defined in the Objective-C runtime. And there are shims for those on Linux, um, but uh, they don't behave in the same way, Right. different implementations. So this remains one of the biggest um, stumbling blocks or one of the biggest hurdles when you're writing cross-platform Swift is um, just knowing where you're implicitly relying on uh, Objective-C behavior.
1: Right. Um,
0: and honestly, it's it's a real pain because otherwise you can often just use Xcode for your development, even when writing uh, Swift for Linux, where you know hopefully 90% of the time things still work. Um, but when they don't, then you're stuck not just running Swift code on Linux, but debugging Swift code on Linux, right. editing Swift code on Linux, using the uh, command line compiler for um, you know fixits aren't there, right? So you need to rely on, on error messages, and right. it's a whole other development experience.
1: It sounds like a great development experience. <laughs> is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> yeah, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. any experience without Xcode is a good experience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <No. laughs> well, as long as you have a suitable alternative, right? right. Um, and we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, all right. Well, I think uh, that's all we have for this episode. Uh, we didn't get quite through everything we wanted to discuss. So maybe in the future, we'll do another community open source uh, episode. But that's all we have for today. I'm Jesse Squires. You can find me on Twitter, jesse underscore squires. And I'm
0: J.P. Smart. You can find me on Twitter at SimJP, and the show is at Swift underscore
1: Unwrapped. Thanks for listening.